Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is our 2023 catchers and UT only player preview. Why do we put the UT only players with the catchers? Well, because catcher is such a historically gross position that we wanted to liven it up with some higher quality players. Uh, And there's a bunch of catchers who are UT only, depending on your league rules. So they actually fit particularly well together, uh, especially since the quality of the catcher pool is better than it's been in a long time. So we have a lot to dig into on this episode, as we do for each and every position preview. We're breaking things down by ADP tiers, looking at players in different clusters, trying to decide if it's a good idea to invest in a particular range. So we begin at the very top of the board. First catcher off the board in pretty much every league I've seen so far this draft season, JT Realmuto, who frequently goes inside the first two rounds. You get a little bit of a gap before you get to Dalton Varsho. Will Smith, usually within the first 50 picks or so. Adley Rutschman, not that far behind. And Salvador Perez was kind of right on the borderline of Tier 1 and Tier 2, but with an ADP around 65, actually put him in Tier 1, even though there's a bit more of a a gap in this cluster than there are some of the other positions. Nevertheless, we start at the very top. You know, you talked about some of your concerns. If you have an early first-round position and the order comes back to you in round 2 and you're picking somewhere between pick 25 and pick 30, depending on which of those positions you're in, you didn't feel as though you liked a lot of players in that range. And one guy that has more of a track record than some of the others in that cluster is, in fact, JT Realmuto. So are you comfortable paying the JT Realmuto tax to get a catcher who does everything in that range, especially in the snake draft situations where you might not be quite as high on the other players you're thinking about in that range? Yeah... He's one of the very few. One of the things that you can see on the auction calculator that's hilarious is that um, the if you have two catchers uh, set up in the as your settings and then you and you run it, uh, there are only basically four catchers who are good enough with the bat to be worth rostering if they weren't catchers. <laughs> there's an there's an adjusted position points of twenty six dollars that they add to every catcher. So remember that when you're picking up a two dollar Joey Bart, uh, <laughs> he's actually worth minus twenty four dollars with the bat. <laughs> Sorry, Joey, and twenty six dollars as a catcher. Um, Real Muto is uh, a good hitter. And uh, tied with Will Smith in terms of uh, hitting ability. I don't know. How does Will Smith somehow worth more than him in the auction calculator? I guess it's the homers versus the stolen bases. Will Smith mashes. That's how he does it. Yeah, that's how he does it. And, and, and so that's an argument for waiting to the next round and getting Will Smith. 
But do I think uh, Real Muto is the best catcher? I think I would still have him. I mean, by the auction calculator, it's 10 cents difference. That is not, uh, uh, that's not anything. That is not a real thing. The 10 cents difference. So you can pick your two. And Real Muto, you know, just getting steals from the catcher spot is just ridiculous and weird and great. And it, it sets you up so much better uh, going forward. Whereas Will Smith is a little bit more of a traditional catcher. Uh, the projections say 14 stolen bases for Miyamoto. I was wanted to check real quick and see if the legs were still there. He has not changed his sprint speed in the last three years, despite going from age 28, the last four seasons, despite going from age 28 season to age 31. He is still the second fastest catcher in the big leagues. And last year, he was still in the 86th percentile of all runners in terms of sprint speed. Um, so his time to first is slowly getting a little bit slower. So some year he will be slower and he won't steal as much, but this year with the rules as they are, I don't think this is the year. So I think another 2020 season is coming. I think he can do, you know, 280, 2020. I don't know why he wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. I guess the only thing that's crossed my mind throughout this draft season with the Phillies making that deep playoff run a longer season for GT Real Muto, but he always takes on heavy workloads. So you're only talking about a few extra weeks. It shouldn't be that much of a, a carryover effect. So I'm not downgrading him based on that. They may also need him in the lineup with Harper out, you know, so like I think I don't think that they're going to do a lot of load management with him early in the season, maybe later. Yeah, my interest in the early catchers does gravitate more towards Smith. I realize Dalton Varsho kind of goes in between because people like to get stolen bases from that catcher spot. It's great to have that because it gives you a chance to go after a few other players in the pool or to have a more balanced approach with your steals, depending on how you like to build your roster. Um, how do you feel about Varsho versus Smith? I think if the cost were equal, I'm with you. I think Real Muto over Smith makes a lot of sense. Cost isn't equal, so there's that pressure for me to wait. But what about Varsho versus Smith? How would you stack them up if the cost were equal? Yeah, auction calculator has them. You know, I think what I... What I what I don't believe is this. The auction calculator is basing their values on 556 plate appearances from Dalton Varsho, 550 Real Muto, and 531 from Will Smith. I think that the difference in plate appearances will be higher, and Varsho will easily have the most plate appearances. Okay. I mean, I could rationalize that. He's an outfielder, for one, so fewer built-in days off, and probably... A reasonable, a reasonably lower amount of in-season injury risk as a result of not having to play a catcher. So I think that's a, a fair sort of thing. I wonder, though, will they sit Varsho against tough lefties? Do they have the the bench depth necessary to do that? Or is he going to play in those spots? I think that's been one of the questions that's been kicking around ever since he was traded to the Blue Jays. Yeah, you know, and the Blue Jays are set up to do some platooning. Uh, the, the, the problem is that Kiermaier, uh, is also a lefty batter. So if you, you have to play one of Kiermaier and Varsho. I think you just play Varsho. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, I think Kiermaier is just straight backup. So the, the concerns, if there are any concerns about Varsho's playing time, at least as the roster is built right now, I, I don't really have those concerns. Yeah, Fangraphs puts uh, Kiermaier in the front seat for center field, but I think, I think you're right. I think uh, their best offensive lineup, which is not terrible defensively and probably better than they were defensively last year, 
is Merrifield, Varsho, Springer in the outfield. That's the the best defensive alignment they could put out there. At least, well, d- as best defensive team. plus uh, offensive, right? Yeah, the best defensive lineup is Kiermaier, Varsho, Merrifield, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Ugh, that's uh, that's losing some offense. Yeah, so I think Varsho will play a lot. I think he'll play all the time. Um, and uh, if he sits against the occasional lefty, I still think that's less than the, the a catcher would sit. You know? Yeah. Catchers almost have like a guaranteed two sits per per week. Yeah, I think I think what we saw from Will Smith last year, as far as plate appearances, that's probably the upper end range. So long as the Dodgers don't have a, a rash of injuries, if they lose enough key players to where they can float DH. Then maybe you could see Will Smith get to 600, but he had 578 plate appearances last year. Played 137 games. I just don't know if they can put much more on him. Yeah, I think teams are are, are very careful with their catchers. You want to have, you don't want to bring in a new catcher in the postseason to be like, eh, you know, here learn all these pitchers, you know. So you want your best number one catcher ready for the postseason. So I think I think people are careful with them. But I'm at the point where I think Will Smith is one of the more underrated players in the game i think being a catcher and being a lot of two catcher leagues especially makes me appreciate him more than a lot of other people would appreciate him but you look at what he has done year over year makes good swing decisions barrel rate has been a double digit barrel rate every single year going back to his rookie season where he was 9.9 percent so he missed it by a whisker that year back-to-back seasons in the mid-20s with home runs run productions there I mean, maybe you want to make an argument that this year's Dodgers lineup isn't as potent as last year's, so the counting stats could come down a little, but I think that's a, a classic nitpicking situation. Uh, so I'm all in on Will Smith at his current draft day price. If I'm going for early catcher, I think you have to really plan if you're going to spend that much on an early pick on a catcher that isn't going to run, you got to make sure you're getting your bags from other sources as you put that foundation in place. That's one of the only pitfalls of, of considering will smith uh, where he goes he's a pretty obvious he's pretty obvious value where he goes yeah you know what i mean like he's goes uh 13 rounds after dalton varsho he has the best auction calculator projection among catchers he goes as the third catcher and has the best projection and then in terms of where he sits before he sits before adley rutschman i feel like what do you want out of adley rutschman that will smith hasn't done yet <laughs> Like three, three or four stolen bags, like on top of it. I don't know. I, I, I think Will Smith has done what you want out of Adley Rutschman, and if that's the case, then you want more than the seven picks you get awaiting on Adley Rutschman. And this is no knock on Adley Rutschman. I really like that uh, the the walk and strikeout rates, the, the 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 chase rate is good. He hit the ball hard, max max velocity wise. The barrel rate wasn't amazing. But with that contact rate and that bail rate, you could still get a pretty good batting average and 18 to 20 uh, homers. So um, I think he's a good player, especially a catcher, especially in two catcher leagues. Um, but I'd rather have Will Smith. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what it is. If, if Rutschman, because he was a first overall pick, if there's a, an expectation that he can get up to peak Buster Posey levels or something, just be a little better if that's what's driving it. The ballpark, the changes in Baltimore, the same thing that helps their pitchers works against Rutschman's ceiling any given year. He's a great player. But yeah, the fact that Smith versus Rutschman is close in ADP actually surprises me just a little bit. It says more about Smith being underrated than about Adley Rutschman being overrated. I think Adley Rutschman versus Salvador Perez 
is actually a more fun sort of debate. Like, do you want the younger player who can get better? Do you want the older player who has shown a power surge late in his career? Already had plenty of power to begin with, but the levels we saw from Salvador Perez, that 48 home run season in 2021, it may go down as one of the most absurd seasons of my entire life. I mean, it, it just jumps off the page. But he's still 665 plate appearances of a catcher is already enough. He played 161 <laughs> games. Like, pick yeah. what, which of these numbers is the most absurd? The 48 homers, the 121 RBIs, the 665 yeah. plate appearances, or the 161 games played? Absurd. And that was the year that they supposedly deadened the ball, right? So <laughs> there was a big downturn in power everywhere else. And then there's Sal Perez hitting 48 homers, 121 RBI as a catcher. Yeah. And the barrel rate's been up since the shortened season in 2020. He's come back hitting the ball harder than ever. And again, this is a guy that had plenty of power behind the plate in his mid 20s. What could you possibly expect from him as he's going into what'll be his age 33 season? Yeah, I think that strikeout rate, which also went up with the increased barrel rate, I think that's gonna, just going to go up a little bit um, as he ages. And so I think there is some risk that the batting average isn't as nice as it's been. It's, you know, over the last three years, it's been about 275. He's projected for anywhere from 250 to 267. I'm going to take the sort of lower end of those batting average projections and consider him basically like a 250-25 homer hitting guy. Which I, is is fine. It's great. Uh, what I mean, we we just said we liked Will Smith, and how much better is he going to be than that? Um, I mean, I do think he has the potential to hit uh, thirty homers or whatever, and uh, the batting average is going to be better than Sal Perez's, I think, just because of the strikeout rate. So I do like Will Smith better, um, and that sort of I also kind of feel like that two fifty twenty five hitting homer catcher is a little bit replaceable in that middle. Like, couldn't Wilson Contreras do that? Couldn't Sean Murphy do that? Uh, couldn't MJ Melendez do that? Couldn't uh, William Contreras do that? You know, there's, uh, I don't think there is as much separating Sal Perez from the middle group as there was in the past. Right. Well, I think what's interesting is if you look at the projection for Sal and look at the projection for Will Smith, they are reasonably close. And it means if you, if you like Will Smith, you probably like Sal a little bit too, or you should like Sal. So note to self, you should probably like Sal a little bit more than you do this year. The only difference mm-hmm. for me, the only major difference for me from a individual perspective is the plate skills being a lot different. And actually, it's two things. The wear and tear on Salvador Perez, aside from the heavy workloads over the course of his career, we're talking about a guy that has over 5,000 plate appearances in the big leagues. 1,254 career games, almost almost entirely behind the plate. I mean, earlier in his career, that was a lot of games behind the plate. And on top of that, has a recent torn ACL. I worry about a guy like that as he moves further into his 30s, starting to lose a little something. But even still, it knocked 10, 15% off of what he did last year, and he's still a very good player. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I agree with your overall point. 
The ADP Tier 2, the next group, Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, MJ Melendez, William Contreras, Sean Murphy, and Tyler Stevenson, kind of the last one in, could have gone either way with him as far as keeping him in this group or pushing him down to the next one. These are not bad players either. I don't feel like if I miss out on the elite catchers, I'm in any sort of trouble. But I think I do want to get at least one catcher in two catcher leagues from one of the first two groups. Do you think Contreras, Wilson Contreras, belongs clearly at the top of this group? Or do you actually see some legitimate contenders for guys behind him to move ahead of him in value this season? If there is a young guy who grows career-wise, grows skills-wise, and uh, overtakes him, uh, to me, it's Alejandro Kirk, actually, because I just love that low, low K rate. And I think there's still a possibility where he puts that uh, small sample barrel rate that he had in 2021, 11%. If he puts that together with a 12% strikeout rate, watch out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that not many people do. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a, a double-digit barrel rate and, and a strikeout rate near 10%. Uh, let me let me do this real quick. Um, put them on the same. You, if you go over to Fangraphs and you go down to the bottom, you can do custom leaderboards where you can just. I'm just adding barrel rate to the normal thing here. Oh, I added barrels. That's no good. Um, but you know that that way you can actually just sort of compare on the same uh, leaderboard, which is something I love about Fangraphs. So I'm here. I'm doing. Uh, Double-digit barrel rates, the first page. Who has a strikeout rate under 15%? Juan Soto. Who else? Nobody else. I'm on the second page. Let me see. I've got... uh, I still got some 10%ers here. Corey Seager. Vlad Marrero Jr. Kyle Tucker. Will Smith. uh, Freddie Freeman. Dude, that is those are great names, man. <laughs> you know, I think Kirk actually has that kind of upside. Cause he's shown us before that he can barrel like that. He we've shown us he can hit the ball hard. He hit the ball harder last year than he ever had before. And a 10% strikeout rate is lovely. So Kirk is the only one where I might uh jump him a little bit on ADP just to make sure I get him. Um, is he, where does he, is he the next one after Rutschman? No, there's it's, Sal Perez. It's three together, really. It's all three of Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, and MJ Melendez, all in the 90 to 100 range. I'm, jo- I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump Kirk up. So if I'm sitting, at, you know, I pick 90 in an NFBC or something, and it's two catcher league, and I know those three catchers are going, it'd be really tempting to say, ah, oh, I'll just take whoever drops and take whoever I'm taking, but the little part of me wants to maybe just go and get Alejandro Kirk. Because I do think that his strikeout rate is the separating skill in this group. Yeah, I I think I prefer Wilson Contreras by a slight margin. I think it's because I think there's more room plate appearance-wise if, if the Jays are healthy. I think if the Jays lose anyone, Kirk's playing time could go through the roof. I do think the addition mm-hmm. of Brandon Belt makes things a little more complicated because Danny Jansen's going to play some too. Mm-hmm. So you have to have one of Belt, Vlad Jr., who's not going to sit, Kirk or Jansen on the bench because you got three spots for four players. Well, the good news is, I mean, I guess uh, Jansen's probably a righty too. So yeah, both their catches are righties. But there are at least 200 plate appearances versus lefties available in, at DH. So if you say that there's, 
you know, what, 800 plate appearances available at catcher, and you give them another 200, that's 1,000 plate appearances, they could both still get to close to 500. Yeah, it's still a, a great share of playing time, still a very good player. I like him for the reasons that you like but him. Contreras is probably going to have more plate appearances. I think, right, I think that's, the, that's the separator for me between those two guys. I think it's also tricky with Kirk versus MJ Melendez to some extent. I think... I like Kirk's. Because he could get a lot more playing time too, though. Yeah, because Melendez has the Dalton Varsho, he's a catcher, but he's not a catcher anymore sort of thing going for him where he could just be an everyday guy in the outfield. And if, if that mm-hmm. happens, then you have that 600 plate appearance potential for a guy that showed really intriguing skills as a rookie last year. Kept the K rate down, continued to draw walks, made best, good swing decisions, best. hits the ball hard, everything you're looking for. Best bad ball power among the three for sure. Yeah, so I, I think that makes him really appealing and if you said hey you know what you missed out on the first group do you want two from this group does that fit as part of your dream build that's actually kind of tempting depending on how other things have played out to that point because you're getting a lot more playing time and skills from this group than you are from the next couple of, of tiers even as we move down to tier three as people will see in a few minutes you already run into some more questions about guys sharing time guys coming off of injuries and I don't want to enter the season with those questions. We did just poke some questions into at least Kirk. So, you know, the questions start pretty early in, in the catcher group. The um, I prefer to take who I think are really good hitters. They're all pretty good hitters around here. I, I think Kirk is a better hitter than Melendez. Just straight up. I'd rather have Kirk. I'd love that strikeout rate. If I had to choose, there's a lot of guys who can barrel the ball and strike out 25% of the time. There's not a lot of guys who can barrel the ball and strike out 10% of the time. So Kirk is the most interesting batter to me. And if there are going to be some questions about playing time in this tier, then that's that's something I gravitate towards. Um, but I have means tested my catcher rankings a little bit, and I've found that Sean Murphy is my last acceptable catcher. I like Tyler Stevenson. And there's a big job drop, and you, if you waited from 110 to 130 to get your first catcher, you'd be getting, adding a lot of value. Stevenson could come back fully healthy. I just don't like picking up somebody right off of shoulder surgery. I mean, he broke it. And I know he's back in camp early and, you know, says it's, it's everything's fine and stuff. But, you know, that's not, that's not good, breaking stuff in the, in the shoulder. So I'm not really reaching for him necessarily, and that means that the tier for me where I want to get my first catcher ends with Sean Murphy, uh, and he he's going around. What is it? He's in the same same one fourteen, like right, just right around. William Contreras goes about five picks before that. Stevenson goes about fifteen picks after. I think William Contreras versus yeah, Sean Murphy. I mean, they were in the same trade, the three team trade between the A's, Braves, and, and Brewers. Murphy, I think, gets such a massive upgrade in supporting cast, getting out of the damp basement for a home park. He could just be the same guy and get much better results across the board for all the categories we care about. I think the only thing I'm wondering about is how the Braves deal with their depth chart and what they do with playing time at DH. Is Travis Darno going to take a significant share of DH time and enable Murphy to still be the everyday catcher. I tend to believe it. I don't think most people do. So I'm pretty high on Murphy. I like Murphy a little more than Contreras. We saw plate skills improvement from Murphy last season. Contreras still has a good bit of swing and miss in his game. I think he fits that kind of prototypical catcher 
offensive profile. Yeah, he strikes out 25-plus percent of the time, but he can do damage. And I think in Milwaukee, he'll play a ton. So the trade was a big win for him. But I don't think Murphy's playing time situation is dropping the way some people are forecasting it to. Yes, because I don't think Atlanta is committed to Marcelo Zuna in any real way. I think that any chance they get, they'll cut him. I mean, I think it's that close. He He's at the end, so the 20, 2024 is the last full season they have to pay him. But he was so bad last year that, uh, you know, and, and this is now two years in a row that he's been below average uh, with the stick. And, you know, he's got no real defensive value. So if he's going to be below average with the stick, he's been below replacement now for two seasons. And so if he comes back in and he's his ISO is still under 200 and, uh, you know, he's not really walking and he's uh, a below average batter, then I don't see the need to to give him playing time unless it's just against lefties. And that leaves two thirds of the DH situation open. I know Murphy is uh, also a right handed hitter, uh, but um, he's just a better hitter. <laughs> so the Braves, I think, would be like, you know, we would play Murphy over Ozuna uh, against righties. I, I think that's the plan. Yeah. Ozuna, I think at this point, has already become kind of a small side DH platoon guy. Yeah, I think they would just move on if they don't like what they see early in the season. Plenty of arguments, of course, to have moved on already, but... Here we are. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Rosario is still there, too. So there's another guy that, you know, if he falls off the depth chart, I know he could play some left field. So that doesn't. That's right. As it much doesn't have to be just Ozuna. Rosario could be bad and Ozuna plays in left field and leaves DH open. Yeah. So you got a couple of ways for catcher plate appearances to tick up in the DH role and even mixing and matching from a performance perspective. With those guys still on the roster. I think Sean Murphy is going to be just fine. Uh, so it sounds like based on your description, Tyler Stevenson really belongs more in the top of ADP tier three. You got Cal Raleigh coming off of the thumb injury. You got Danny Jansen in that Blue Jays playing time crunch, who actually projects as a top 10 catcher right now in the auction calculator. Mm-hmm. But all the playing time concerns that we just outlined while talking about Kirk, you know, Jansen's kind of caught up in that. And I think he has less interesting offensive skills than Alejandro Kirk does, so that works against him as well. It's so weird, though. He's, last year, he struck out 17.7% of the time with a 13% barrel rate. Like This is something I should really love, and I don't know why I don't love Danny Jansen so much. His projections love him. They say he's going to be 20% better than league average. Almost all of them say that, and they say he's all. They all say he's going to hit 220. I mean, he's going to hit uh, 240, basically, with 20 homers. He's never done that. I mean, other than last year. So, I don't know. There's some part of me that's just, what is it? What is it? It's just, I just, I just doubt him. (laughs) It's just doubt. Well, some of the slash lines we've seen earlier in his career were ugly. In the year of the rabbit ball, he hit 207 with a 279 OBP and a 360 slugging percentage. That sticks with you. And yeah, I think we did see, we saw progressive Really high pull rates too. 60% pull rates are amazing. Yeah, but it, man, this is... I, I think the the Kirk Jansen situation is not that different than the the Murphy-Travis Darno situation. Yeah. But I think the difference for me is that Sean Murphy being a gold glove catcher really kind of gives you the 
extra nudge to be like, no, we have to prioritize playing this guy more. He's more important to our team in that way. So we got to keep him behind the plate as much as we can. The Jays have it a little different in that they use Kirk a lot as a cleanup hitter. He's right in the heart of that order. I think one of my favorite Alejandro Kirk stats is if you look at where he hit in the lineup last year, 56 games as the cleanup hitter. No Blue Jays player was in the cleanup spot more than Alejandro Kirk last year. When he wasn't hitting cleanup, he hit third a bunch of times, 26 times last year. And if he wasn't hitting third or fourth, it was usually fifth or sixth. He doesn't drop that far down in the order when they move him down. So that kind of pushes you into that that mindset that they see him as a priority part of what they do as a lineup, even if they as a back, move him around yeah. a little bit. Even if he's DH sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I like both of those guys, and I sort of round down a little bit on my expectations for Jansen, Jansen and Darno. Dan Travis Darno, yeah. Even though Jansen and Darno are good enough players where if they were in situations to play more, I'd probably like them. Yeah, the, the the weird thing with like the MLB MLB now is doing like top ten right now or whatever, and I think uh, Jansen and Kirk and Murphy and TDA, all four of those catchers were in their top ten, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I kind of just doubt it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just I doubt that that would even be possible for a team to 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 really uh, that for two teams to accrue two top ten catchers. Like, I just something doesn't. Just, like it, like especially if you're talking about projecting for this year, it just doesn't, it can't be true. Right? Could it be true? No, not. Let me look at last year. Isn't that just engagement farming? Isn't that what the top ten right now really is? Just a way to get people <laughs> to interact with their content in the off season. Let me look though. I want to do two thousand two year to date and two catcher leagues, fifteen teams. Do you think there are going to be any from the same team in the top ten? I could see maybe occasionally a second catcher on a team that splits the time close to even and had the luxury of the DH also sneaking a second one in, but it's not a common thing. Kirk ended up fourth, Jansen 15th. But see, the Sean Murphy, Travis Darno doesn't count because they weren't on the same team. Right. They were seven and eight. Yeah. Like if we're thinking about going forward, there is there are going to be losers in this group. What was Darno and, and, uh, and William Contreras though? Because they were teammates. And they were sharing the role. That's a good one. Eight, nine. Okay, so it can be done. So it can be done. 426 plate appearances for Travis. So I know 376. See, what's going to happen is even, like maybe Jansen and TDA are going to be fine uh, enough to be first catchers and have good value, but they aren't going to maybe accrue you some of the counting stats and stuff. So they'll just have to have kind of standout seasons. Like William Contreras in 376 plate appearances still hit 20 homers. Yeah, you know? he did a lot with that limited role, and that really, really stood out from a, a value perspective. The per plate appearance numbers were incredible. Uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about about Sean Murphy um, being a, a good bet for that last that last spot. You're you're making me doubt it a little bit. I'm not trying you're to. Me doubt it a little bit. I'm in the playing time. I'm in on Murphy. In. Yeah, I, I Travis Darno's injury history is also awful. It's that's true. Like one of the one of the worst injury ledgers you're going to find on a player. It almost I mean his well, career almost ended like forty four or five years ago with all the, the concussions and the knee injuries and things he was going through. If you did Will Smith at fifty and Danny Jansen at one seventy five, the auction calculator would love you. I'm not quite going to that build. I do like Smith. I have my reservations about Jansen's playing time. Uh, 
what are you doing with Cal Raleigh? I mean, he's coming off a of season 27 homers. Looks like the share of playing time he's going to have is huge. We mentioned the the thumb injury. Apparently, as of the first week of February, wasn't having any issues catching bullpen sessions. So that's a really good sign that even before spring training started, he seems to have recovered from that. It was a 211. He played so well with it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a 211, 284, 489 line. K rate just under 30%. Lots of barrels. Better swing decisions than we saw when he debuted in 2021. Uh, what do you think 2023 brings for Raleigh? I think it's a little aggressive to expect a 15% barrel rate from such a young player, especially after he debuted with a 7% barrel rate. So I would expect some barrel rate regression, but a raw uh, like power max EV of 114, 113 the year before, and then the progression in, in terms of swing decisions and uh, sw- swing strike rate, I think we'll see a little bit of improvement in his strikeout rate um and uh an improvement in his obp um maybe a little bit of a step back in power but i still think he can hit 20 homers um he's not not quite that 250 25 that i was talking about that's that's more that upper tier but 230 20 uh yeah he can do that i think an ideal second catcher yeah be a great second catcher if he's your first in a two catcher league you're probably getting that second catcher reasonably quickly from uh, that fourth ADP tier. Or maybe you're even pairing him up with Kibé Ruiz. Right, Kibé Ruiz is going to yeah. play a lot. And we've talked about some of his flaws over the years. And and there's also that that question that always comes up every time the Dodgers trade a high-end prospect. It's like, why, why are they trading him away? Why aren't they just going to install him? Well, Will Smith was a factor. They couldn't necessarily play Kibé Ruiz as much as they would have wanted to if they really liked him. Ruiz's power uh, in the minor leagues looks like it wasn't supported by the batted ball stats. Right. We're seeing very low barrel rates so far from him. It's been almost a full season's worth of plate appearances. 3.7% barrel rate so far as a big leader with a 31.8% hard hit rate. Nice low K rate, 11.5%. Not going to hurt you there. But he might not be as much of a batting average asset as we thought either. If he doesn't hit the ball harder... It could just be a pretty empty 250, 260 most years from him, even if it comes with a lot of playing time. No, he reminds me of statistically, actually. Yadi Molina. I, was, I thought you were going to say Christian Vasquez. <laughs> oh, that's that's a little better. But I mean, like, um, sort of peak Yadi Molina, young Yadi Molina, um, where he didn't provide a lot of fantasy value. <sighs> he's been young for the level everywhere he's played. You look at the old scouting reports, you don't see Ruiz with anything more than average raw power in those. So that's kind of sitting out there. He did steal bases last year. Six for seven as a base dealer. Had not stolen a base since rookie ball back in 2015. So Vasquez does not have a lot of fantasy value in here to rear room here either. I mean, to be honest. Yeah. I think I, I'm not making a very good case for Caber Ruiz here. Vasquez had the 23 home run season in 2019 and has never had double digits in a home run, never had a double digit home run season in the big leagues otherwise. Right, so you're like throwing a dart being like, I'm hoping I'll get the double digit home run season. And and the projections are giving him these homers. I'm a little surprised, um, not surprised that the bat is on the lower end of the uh, power projections So. So if you're going to pay, make sure you have the bat X. Uh, if you're going to pay for Ruiz, make sure you have the bat X clicked is all I'm saying. You know, pay for 255, 12 homers. 
and maybe you'll be surprised with better. I mean, he's obviously he's 24 and he can get better, you know, like I'm not saying he's, this is written in stone, you know, so if you'd like him, get him, but pay for the, pay the bad X cost. I'd much rather have him as my second than as my first. Uh, 21 homers at AAA, and that was in just 72 games back in 2021. I know hitter-friendly environments, especially during his time in the Dodgers organization at AAA, but hit the ball in the air a ton that year. Still kind of figuring it out, I guess, is the best way I I would describe him. (laughs) And the bad X says, Christian Vasquez, $12. uh, And Cabert Ruiz, 6 Danny Jansen, 10. Uh, yeah, so second catcher, we're already getting into second catcher league. I think, you know, Sean Murphy, I think, is where I want to get uh, my first my first catcher. If it's a one-catcher league, I'd love to get, uh, you know, Sean Murphy, MJ Melendez. Um, you know, I think that's sort of where I'd like to be getting my final catcher. That's, you know, sort of 12th to 13th catcher. I wouldn't be paying as much as everybody else in my league, and... I would have a certain amount of upside. Now we're talking about now we're talking about second catchers. I think in this group, Kyber Ruiz is a, is a great second catcher if you only pay second catcher prices. And look at Tyler Stevenson's projection here is for five dollars. So you know he's actually supposed to be in this tier with Kyber Ruiz according to the to the calculator. So if we're talking second catchers, you know why not uh, some Jonah Heim action? Yeah, you know that that he's not going to cost much. Where is where is he on the ADP? Outside the top 200, right? So tier four, you look at Gabriel Moreno, who's now in Arizona, uh, projects to have a better hit tool than Kiber Ruiz. and Really reminds me the, of Ruiz. <laughs> yeah, the scouting reports are more are more lofty on him. So I, I guess you could, if you trust that, you're getting more projection potentially. Logan Ohapi is in this range here. This is outside the top 200. Haim right there, kind of around pick 240. Christian Vasquez kind of leading up... Uh, a timeshare with Ryan Jeffers in Minnesota goes in this range. Yasmani Grandal coming off of an injury-ravaged 2022 season. I actually kind of like Grandal, but the problem would be if you're drafting Yasmani Grandal as your second catcher, you're rostering a third. You're you're not just, right, leaving, just rough. not leaving yourself without a bench catcher. Honestly, like all the names, almost all the names you said just make me kind of shiver a little. Hmm. Like it could go badly, man. Logan O'Hoppy could end up in the minor leagues this year. You know what I mean? And and he, and he could still have a great future in front of him. He could still end up in the minor leagues this year. He ha- I'm sure he has an option if that team wants to win. And if he struggles out of the gate, then they'll find something else to do. You know? Um, uh, wh- who, are, who are some of the other names you're saying? You were saying... Um, that's Moreno, Hoppy, Heim, Vasquez. Moreno, yeah, yeah. Those, all those guys, I think, have a lot of questions. I, I gravitate a little bit to more towards veterans that might be a little better, like veterans who have the job and could have a better season next year. And for me, that's Heim and Vasquez. Heim uh, had a really nice start to the season. And he petered out a little bit, but if you look at the full season stats, you're talking about a be- above average strikeout rate, above average walk rate, above average ISO above average barrel rate, above average max barrel uh, max power. So it's like above average across the board. Like that's pretty good. No, and he doesn't hit 50% fly ball, so I don't think he should have a really terrible babbit. Catchers generally have bad babbits. They're a little bit slower, but he's a young on the younger side. So I could see him this year having a 250-20 homer season as as your second catcher. Uh the projections are not that far from that. It's like 240-15, right? And he's cheap as heck. And Vasquez might steal you some bases. He's got that job. 
you know, and from my opinion, and he has something very similar where he's above average by strikeout rate, uh, just about average by bill rate, and has better speed than a normal catcher. So those are the types of second catchers I get. Guys who will play that have uh, that I think uh, have some potential beyond what they did last year. Yeah, I'm with you on the Ohapi playing time downside. He saw a handful of games at AAA in 2021, but he spent all of last season at AA before getting a late season call up from the Angels. So playing time is hardly guaranteed there, even though there's a clear long term need at the position. I like him in keeper in dynasty leagues. There's no hesitation there, but I think there could be a, a, a bit of short term playing time growing pains. Moreno, I think, is a little safer. I, I feel as though they sought him out in that trade for Varsho. They didn't really feel like Carson Kelly was more than a high-quality backup, so I think that bodes really well. I think Moreno gives them a big offensive lift, potentially, behind the plate, uh, in the long term especially. Short term, you know, it could look a little bit like what Ruiz gives us, which is okay for a second catcher. I'm with you on Haim. I think he's a lot like Danny Jansen with a better path to playing time because of his glove. Less thump right now, but good plate skills. So it's a really good guy that's not going to hurt you in that second catcher spot. A lot of second catchers can backfire on you, crater your average, not play enough, lag in counting stats. I don't think Heim is going to be one of them. Vasquez is kind of similar to me, but I think Jeffers is more of a threat to his playing time than anyone on the depth chart in Texas is to Heim's playing time. So Vasquez is really more of a break glass in case of emergency sort of player. I'd rather take Grandal than Vasquez, than Vasquez, so long as we continue to get good health reports for Grandal during the spring. If Grandal is dealing with any of the soft tissue stuff that he's dealt with in recent years this spring, I'm a hundred percent out. I will, I will leave mm. immediately and stop collecting shares of Grandal. I just think. I mean, his knees are bad. His knees are bad. They're awful. Point. With Abreu gone, I just think there's a better chance he can DH a lot. And if he DHs a lot, I think he's a good enough hitter to still be a very good offensive player for us in this game. But some, but some of it also is like he's a really he's a really good real life hitter, and he still has that sort of Joey Gallo esque line sometimes where you're just like, "Thank you for the homers, and also thank you for pooping on my batting average." Yeah, it's not that bad, especially at catcher. Last year was a 202, but he was really hurt last year. 240, 230, 246, 241, 247 the previous yeah. five years. That's not, not bad, that bad for a catcher. Before, yeah. yeah. Does yeah, it with good sure. OBPs. I, I just said I like Jonah Heim, who's projected to hit like 230. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a really extremely we, like niche uh, you know, use case scenario. Draft and hold Elias Diaz of the <laughs> uh, of the Rockies. In a draft and hold, you're going to have four or five catchers on your team, and you could very easily get, as I just did in my draft and hold, uh, shout out to the drafters, some of them might be listening, um, that uh, you can have him on your roster. I have Francisco Mejia as my... Uh, as my third catcher, and Elias Diaz last year at home, 270 average, 471 slugging. I think that's definitely somebody you want in when he's home and you have some sort of other catcher that can soak up some of the away games. Um, so that's a, that's a niche thing there, but he, he doesn't, he's not expensive. He, even the auction calculator, even if you just stuck him in there for all of the time, he seems like a top 20 catcher. Uh, and so, or a top 25 catcher. So he's, 
he's not a bad, even in other two catcher leagues, he's not a bad backup plan. How do you feel about Andy Rodriguez, switch hitter in the Pirates organization? Looks like he's near big league ready, goes pretty late, actually has better projections for this season than Logan Ohapi, just looking at the slash line projections anyway. And I don't really see a, a strong case again to, to keep him in the minors that long. If he if he goes back to AAA, finished just six games there last year. If he goes back to AAA to start this year and, and hits, he's probably up pretty early with a chance to just be the primary catcher in Pittsburgh, isn't he? Yeah, and I think there's actually uh, some motivation for Pittsburgh to play him organizationally because they also have Davis, Harry Davis, Henry, Henry Davis. Davis. Yeah. And they have Henry Davis, who already hit double A. He was their 1-1 pick. Uh, he's not tearing up the minor leagues statistically like Andy did. Um, he's been hurt a couple uh, times, but, too. Right, and, and, and like some of the stops, he has been very good. But... The question will be, who is the catcher for this team long term? And so I think the the answer is not Austin Hedges. Um, and so I think that what will happen is uh, Andy Rodriguez might make this uh, this roster opening day because they want to see him catch at the major leagues, you know, and before uh, before Davis is ready to see if he can catch the major leagues. So just in terms of timelines, I think he's up. I think he's I think he's a I think he's an ideal, you know, sort of situation in um, two catcher leagues where uh, you want to take a chance on your second catcher, see if you got the upside. If you don't, some of these other playing time stuff that we've been talking about might shake out a, another catcher that you can pick up. Yeah, you know, and you're just making a bet that he's going to be the opening, uh, he's going to be on the opening roster, and he's eventually going to push Austin Hedges out. So I like that one. I think another one that's a little bit similar but a little bit different is uh, Yainier Diaz. Yeah, Houston. I'm uh, getting his name wrong. I'm definitely getting it wrong in the search. <laughs> no, he's. I think he's a ghost <laughs> How on, do you spell on it? fan graphs. I, I I think it's it's Y A N I E R. Right. That's that's the right way to spell it. No, it's Yain. It's Yain. It's Yainer. Not showing up. It's Y A. It's Y-A-I-N-E-R. There he is. Um, he came up and had nine plate appearances. So, uh, and it's also, these not they're not the same situation as Pittsburgh where they're like testing him to see if he'd be the next uh, catcher for them because they just want to win. They're a winner that just wants to win. So if there's any whiff of like, he, they're not sure he's the best defensive catcher for them, then they'll just keep going with Martin Maldonado, right? Um, but he is there and he could be their catcher of the future. And he has been ripping up the minor leagues and it seems like he's ready to go. Good strikeout rate, good combination of strikeout rate and and power. He will be a better offensive bet probably from day one than Martin Maldonado. So there is a chance that uh, he makes that roster and maybe they allow Martin Maldonado to kind of... um, bring him along. I mean, the, the option otherwise is Corey Lee, uh, who I don't think has the offensive upside. So what do you do as a, what do you do as a team like the Astros? We have Martin Maldonado. Who do you want to back him up? The better catcher who has the worse, uh, offensive profile or the better offensive profile? I think you can make arguments either way because the you, with the offensive profile, you may, it might say this could be a star catcher. This might be our Will Smith. We d- we don't want to screw around with him. We want him to get everyday at bats all the time. 
Corey Lee is just probably a backup for us. So let's just treat him as a backup and, and play him as a backup. Yeah, yeah. I'd want Diaz to spend time with Maldonado and learn as much about how he handles the staff. That's an argument and, for having him up in the major leagues. Right, even if he's only playing once or twice a week and you're just saying, well, we don't care about offense from our catcher, the rest of our lineup's good. Let's just see what happens development-wise for a couple of months. Okay, and then all of a sudden, if Diaz is picking everything up that they want him to pick up, he could start taking a larger share of the job. Yeah. It's definitely an area of opportunity in Houston, and they've done so well these last couple of years taking taking guys inside the organization, giving them chances to play, and and being pretty pretty well rewarded for doing it. How about Bo Naylor real quick, too, in Cleveland? He had a really nice year in the minors, played at AA and AAA, got an end-of-season debut, very, very, very quick cup of coffee. We're talking eight plate appearances but they don't really have a, a long-term catcher on the depth chart at the big league level blocking him. Clearly, he's the catcher of the future. Uh, how much stock do you put into what he did last year with a 21-homer, 20-steal season between AA and AAA? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of it is, what do I think of Mike Zanino, actually? I think he's just a guy at this point. One-year, $6 million deal, I think, suggests just a guy. And uh, TOS, thoracic outlet surgery, um, that... You know that he was said he was feeling fully fully cleared and symptom free in August. So that's a good sign that um, that maybe he has recovered. But and and I think Tampa kept Zanino around not so much for for the offense, but uh, for his ability to shepherd the the crew. You got a similar situation here maybe uh, with Martin Maldonado. Uh, except I think the Guardians, uh, there's a little bit more pressure on them to get offense from that position, right? I mean, just they need offense wherever they can get it. Um, so I think uh, there's an opportunity there. I would say that Naylor's opportunity um, is maybe just below uh, Andy Rodriguez's because it's the Pirates, and they're, they obviously are trying to put together a team that can win. Part of that could just be being like, hey, Andy Rodriguez is our catcher now. Um, and uh, And but ahead of Yanir Diaz's because the Guardians could use some offense. Uh, Zanino has been worse than 70, has had a worse than 70 WRC plus in three out of the last four seasons. He's not necessarily what you would turn to if you're the Guardians for, you know, a good offensive catcher. And Naylor seems like he's right there knocking on the door. Yeah, and I'm still drafting Luis Campusano really late for NL only leagues, draft and holds. I think Austin Nola, people kind of maybe have lost sight of this. He was old when he debuted. He's already 33. And Austin Nola is not the kind of player that blocks you if you're a young player that's going to be an everyday long term contributor. I think Luis Campusano still has that ability, putting up really good numbers at AAA. I realize it's El Paso, so you have to take that with a grain of salt, given that it's a very hitter-friendly home park in a hitter-friendly league. But you go back the last two seasons combined, it's a full season, 162 games now at AAA, 29 homers for Luis Campusano, doing it with like a high 290s average, good OBP. I just think he's one of those guys that could wrestle away a larger share of the playing time in a shared situation. And you know, getting even half the playing time in San Diego would be a nice win for him as late as he goes for people in really, really deep leagues. Yeah. He's got some upside. And then the uh, only other sort of really late dart that uh, appears on my radar is Nick Fortes uh, with the Marlins. Uh, I mean, he's 26, was never listed as a prospect, really. 40 future value from Fangraphs. 
However, uh, we had some bat speed monitoring numbers that came out of uh, MLBAM's rollout of that feature, and he scored very high on the bat speed. So there's a question of, you know, bat speed versus sweet spot, and like as a physical spot on the bat. You could have great bat speed, but not get the most out of it because you're not hitting it on the sweet spot. So he could just be, it could be sort of like a raw power versus game power situation with him. Um, but the amount you have to invest in him <laughs> is very low. And I think the opportunity for him is very high. I think uh, he could easily be the starting catcher there. Uh, and to get a starting catcher somewhere with uh, plus bat speed, I think is intriguing, especially on a team uh, that needs some offense. So I know Stallings is probably the starter there, but he's pretty boring. And I think uh, he's established himself as a below average bat, whereas Fortes has the upside to be better than that. Yeah, I think Stallings is there for his glove. Anything he does with his bat is a bonus, but Fortes could actually bring them a little bit more than expected and could be a multi-year starter for them if it all falls into place. Now, we move over to the more exciting part of the preview. Yes, in the 53rd minute, we introduce the UT-only players. Shohei Otani, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about him? I think it's worth talking about him. <laughs> What's funny, though, is so my PitchCon panel that I was on last week, two weeks ago, I don't know how long ago that was. Time is really a mess for me right now, if you can't tell. <laughs> Pre-recording days, running stuff that we didn't record on one... It, it's it's nuts. Not the go bag is ready to go. Go bag is ready. the The first version of the go bag that almost broke my ankle as I uh, hopefully lugged it around to the parking lot. Hopefully the dog has stopped puking. She's calmed. That she's feeling a lot better. Everything is calmed That's down. Good. So we can talk about Shohei Otani. But my PitchCon panel was uh, preferences for for draft slot relative to you know first third of the order, middle third or last third. Do you like being on the ends? What do you like? And we talked mostly about the ends. We didn't talk a lot about the middle. One thing I like this year, if you have a mid-first-round position, there's a very good chance you're going to have Shohei Otani sitting there. Now, league format is still everything as it pertains to Otani. In leagues where he is one player, and you have to make a weekly decision on whether or not he is going to hit as your UT-only player or he's going to pitch for you as one of your pitchers, in those leagues, consistent top 10, top 12 sort of pick. That's what you're going to get. I think that's actually a slight uh, undervalue of of just how 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 nice it is to have a player that you can use as an elite bat or a potentially elite arm. I think the the versatility we talk about it with guys who are eligible at a corner and a middle spot or a corner and an outfield spot, and we say that's worth a buck, that's worth two bucks. I think with Otani, it's probably five to seven dollars worth of actual value because the deeper the league you play in. It, the harder it is to find pitching in season. So you can draft Shohei Otani in a weekly league, plan on using him as your UT option, and if your pitching plan falls apart, you have someone you can slide over to cover for one of your injured aces or one of your best pitchers, and you're just backfilling with the best available hitter and playing matchups off the wire. I think it's easier in season to adjust and play matchups with your hitters than it is to find high-quality ace-grade innings on the wire. And I think that's the thing that Shohei Otani brings to our game that nobody else brings in weekly formats. Yeah, I think one of the uh, higher end uh, NFBC players that might have been Phil Dusso was talking about also um, the actual use case of Sho Shohei Otani over at NFBC was um, 
there are some days where you will use him as a pitcher, even if he was healthy and your other staff was healthy. And he was talking about uh, a two start weeks. Now there are not that many of them in the situation they have in Anaheim because they do a six, uh, they do a six man rotation. But there are going to be some. So let's say we give him three or something. Are you looking to see how many he actually had? Let's say we give him that's that's they might change none. the usage. They might actually yeah. let him go on a regular schedule this year. But uh, but let's say there's a couple of those. And then he also pointed out um, that you might use him in short weeks around the All-Star break. Uh, if he has a start uh, there, uh, you know, then uh, then he's more useful as a one-start guy than a three-game than three game bat. So, and that might happen at the beginning of the season too. You have to look that first, oh yeah, the first weekend is a three three day weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So, and he's probably going to be opening a starter, right? Right. So he'll pitch and some of your back end starters won't even go. So you'll use right. Otani there because you're getting a great start and so let's say someone else you, is going to get three, say, three games as a hitter that you can play in his place. Let's say even if you were using him as a hitter all year, you had four weeks you could use him as a pitcher. Two two-star weeks, the all-star break in the first week. It's pretty good. You just got a month of an elite pitcher. Basically, yeah. You got 25, 30 innings of hopefully excellent ratios and probably well over a strikeout per inning. There is one question with Otani. That's another $4, right? I mean, you have a $24 is a near elite pitcher. You got a month of it free, so that's $4. Throw at least $4 on top of your bat projection for, for him. So that brings him, it would bring him from the low 30s, 30.7 up to like 34. And that would make him the fourth most valuable position player on the auction calculator if you're counting it that way. Bam. Now. And that's not counting the sort of safety blanket stuff you were talking about where it's like, oh, if things go foobar in your rotation, you happen to have another elite starting pitcher. Right. You might be able to manage extra value out of the spot just by using him in certain instances and you know shuffling things around. You have the insurance policy built in. The other thing about Otani that I think is kind of interesting, though, is with the pitch clock, he was mm, one of the slow. slowest. He was the slowest, I believe, at least among starters in terms mm-hmm. of time between pitches last season. How much of that is unique to him you know, being a, a two-way player, or how much of it is just a, a thing that he can correct over the course of an offseason? Do you believe that that will have any significant impact on the quality of Otani's pitching stats with the new rules in place for this season. It is interesting. It's a 2020 93.8 mile fastball, 2021 95.7 mile fastball, 2022 97.3 mile fastball. <laughs> Giggity. I think that these things are related because, I mean, obviously there was surgery and there was comeback, but uh, there's also uh, a lot of trips to development factories that can help with the velo that may uh, also bring up that, you know, if you rest more, you can maybe throw harder. So let's say he only goes back, he goes back, he loses some velo out of this. Maybe it does affect his velo. If he went back to 2021 when he had the 95 uh, 7 velo, he would lose like 1.6 miles and that'd be a big deal. Uh, he was really good as a pitcher in 2021. <laughs> he struck out 11 for nine, three walks for nine, had a 3-1, 3-2 ERA. Uh, like, uh, he'll still be really good, even if he loses like a whole tick on a fastball because of these new rules. I thought that was, I thought 2021 was his reasonable ceiling as a pitcher. 
I just thought like, okay, <laughs> this this is as good as it gets. This is great. You started throwing a sinker through two miles an hour harder. <laughs> right. So I think it's something to be mindful of. The pitch clock is something to be mindful of as it comes uh, with Otani. But I also I'm at the point I'm not betting against him anymore. I think that's just a, mm-hmm. a stupid thing to do. The format that you could play in, of course, that makes them even more valuable is anything in which you can move them Daily. every single day. Or even a format, if there's any site out there that counts pitching stats or hitting stats while you have them in the opposite slot. If you're getting that, all the I stats, not seen. I haven't seen it. I don't it. think that exists. <laughs> I don't know. There might be some some site out there that I don't play on that has options like that. But if you're able to use Otani every day in his various roles, he's the most valuable player in the game. He's the number one overall pick. Yeah. He ends the debate that constantly goes on. Is it is it Judge? Is it Turner? Is it Julio Rodriguez? Is it Acuna? No, it's Otani in a daily league where you can get every possible stat from him. I mean, we're just talking about it. It's like a $30 hitter with plus a $25 pitcher. Yep. I mean, you're just not going to find another player like that. $55. Just doesn't happen. So he's absurd. I, I love him. I, I'm happy to take him right in the middle part of round one after the Acuna Turner, Jose Ramirez, Judge, Julio Rodriguez. I think Otani versus Tucker is a little bit of a toss-up for me, but I think it's Tucker as of right now. It's, it's close. It sucks a little bit that you don't get you you don't get positional value. Yeah, but it's. If you, I took Tucker over Otani in a in a uh, draft and hold situation. Well, you you just get different positional value, and it might be again much more valuable than the positional value we look for from position players typically. Mm, right, because because you have that P. Yeah, that is weird. Somebody like Bryce Harper, I think, is the next util only. Um, I'm not necessarily like a full-on out, but it takes a pretty specific use case where I want him. I mean, he has to drop pretty far. It maybe has to be like a draft and hold big roster situation or a, or an NL only league where I can stash him on the IL because uh, at at 97, I could also get Rowdy Telez or Matt Chapman or... Uh, I don't know, Vaughn Grissom, if you missed on middle infielders. Like, there's a lot of really exciting players that are going to start from day one, and nursing him along uh, is going to be difficult in some formats. So, unlimited IL, um, you know, maybe cheaper than where he's going, 97. Like, maybe, you know, if he starts going to, like, 115. At 115, it's him or Oscar Gonzalez or Cody Bellinger, or Whit Merrifield. Okay, now I'm taking Bryce Harper if I have unlimited IL and I can and I know a way I can just stash him for the second half, basically. Yeah, I think even if you're playing in a like a best ball format too, you still want to wait well outside the top 100 before you're thinking about Harper because we're talking about someone who's not going to be back until just before the All Star break, most likely. So yeah. half a season gone. Yeah, half a season of Bryce Harper is valuable, but you need to do as well as you possibly can throughout the first half. I think you have to have IL spots to really think about him. I don't really see myself having him in any NFBC format other than that draft and hold. That's the only real case I can come up with to have Bryce Harper uh, on my rosters this year. We talked about J.D. Martinez with the move to the Dodgers. Do you think there's still something left in the tank and the price in terms of what he goes for on draft day? It's not that bad. It's right around pick 200. So uh, there have been... There have been pricier bounce-back candidates that we've invested in over the years. So what do you think about J.D. making the move to the West Coast? Yeah, it's just tough on him. He he does have oppo power, and oppo power is really cleaned up by that new ball. Um, you know, So he, that's why he's, I think, dropped down in isolated slugging and homer numbers. 
so he has this decision: do I, you know, do do I start the swing a little earlier, uh, strike out more, have a lower BABIP? He's a three forty two BABIP for his career, and he's kept it there because he sprays the ball everywhere. I, am I willing to kind of quote unquote sell out for power by starting my swing earlier and not going oppo as much and trying to hit pull tanks? Um, you know, would I rather be a two forty hitter with thirty homers at this point in my career? Or am I going to hobble along at 275 with 18 to 20 homers the rest of my career? There is a, a good question. Uh, you know, uh, he has been super valuable as a hitter with this format. Even uh, even with the pull power going down last year, he was 19% better than league average of the bat. And I think maybe the Dodgers say, no, man, don't change. Just be you. Don't worry. I, we didn't buy you for 45 homers, you know. So I think maybe he just continues doing what he's doing. He has a 275 average with 22 homers next year. That's okay. I don't, I don't know. You know, if the auction calculator says it's okay, it, it doesn't give you any positional value. Like he's going around Masataka Yoshida, who's kind of a, a wild card, but, you know, should have a much better average um, or a really good average. I mean, he's going around Riley Green. I would take, I think, J.D. Martinez and Masataka Yosh- Yoshida over Riley Green. Um, who, who on the would you rather Joey Manessis or JD Martinez? JD, I think so. It's a nice track record. It's a it's a good established track record. It's a guy that seems JD Martinez. He, he seems like he understands hitting at a level that would make him yeah capable of the adjustments you were describing. He's not just the guy that's going up there like a caveman swinging out of his shoes. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's got a plan, and I I think the Dod it'd be it'd be weird if the Dodgers signed him and he was terrible. I'd be really surprised by that. Yeah, I think Van Skoyok is a good uh, hitting coach there. And now he's one of the more, uh, he's got one of the longest terms. I mean, he's he's like been there like four years or something. It's a lifetime the average, for a hitting coach. The average hitting coach uh, at a, is at about a year and a half, according to uh, the newest numbers by Cody Stavenhang, a great piece about the life of a hitting coach and how difficult it is. Um, so I, I mean I think he's he's doing some good there. Uh, who's the next UT UT only? Well, so this gets kind of weird because of the the way some of the leagues determine eligibility. It's where you played the most when you came up if you debuted. It's a bunch of guys who are going to have catcher eligibility. Shea Langoliers. Shea Langoliers isn't a catcher in some leagues, NFBC leagues in particular, but other leagues too, because he didn't reach twenty games and where he played the most ended up being the UT spot. Silly. Yeah, didn't play 20 games behind the plate, that is, and then, of course, played most as a catcher. My quick rant here, there's there's two things that frustrate me about gameplay in fantasy baseball. Number one is the default two-catcher old-school approach. I've ranted about that before. I'm not going to do it again here. If you had the power to fix it, fix it. Add a second UT, go down to one catcher. Why are you taking the worst offensive game in the league and making us have two of them? I don't know. My new one, my bigger, my more important one is I understand you don't have to explain to me how the rules are written. I've read the stupid rules enough times. I understand how you've decided that Shailen Lears isn't a catcher right now. My my beef with this is that why are we not? He is a catcher. Why are we not looking at minor league games played as part of determining a player's eligibility for the current season? Looking at last year's minor league, where, where did the organization play this guy over all of last season at each level? I, I think I would rather take the the extra position eligibilities that come from that than have guys who are clearly something have to be UT-only guys. It's Langoliers, it's Francisco Alvarez, who's also a catcher 
clearly a catcher long term. It's just dumb. Like I, we we can fix this, and for some reason, it's like no, the book from fifty years ago says we will do it this way. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? Last year, uh, in the minor leagues for Oakland, he had seventy nine games at catcher and thirteen games at DH. Yeah. He comes up and he has seventeen games at catcher and twenty four as a DH. And twenty four as a DH. No, you can't catch Just though. Just because they not have a, a guy named Sean Murphy. Yeah, he's not, not a, catcher. a catcher anymore. <laughs> Forgot how to do it. Not eligible. Sorry, rules say he's not eligible. It means you have a dumb rule. Fix the rules. I like him. Um, I like him as a second catcher. Uh, like maybe you know what's a, a, a sneaky idea is if you took Varsho um, earlier. Mm-hmm. Ah, but that's that's tough because you're gonna just take Varsho and play. You're gonna play. Catcher. You don't want to move Varsho. No, I, I think you're you're drafting. You you have to draft. Maybe you could a third. take Langoliers and and one of the other guys we're talking about. Well, you take Langoliers with Diaz or one of the late catchers. Fortes, just a Diaz, super yeah, super late catcher guys. that you can cut if you don't want to hold all three. And then after, and then you get two shots at it where you're like, okay, Langoliers. I have Langoliers and like uh, who's the Andy Rodriguez, the um, yeah. the pirate one. Mm-hmm. You could have those two guys on your roster to start the season, and you're like, I'm giving these guys two weeks. And in two weeks, Shea Langoliers, he still won't be a catcher. Eh, he should have it by then. He's going to catch enough. It's 10 games in season. It's five. Five. Okay. Yeah. So you give him a week, you give him two weeks, and you, you see what happens. Yeah. And the end of the second week, the first week's a partial week, the second week's a full week. Shea Langoliers going into week three should be catcher eligible again. I like it a little better, not so much with any of you guys, because then you might not have any second catcher for the first week. That, that, that no, that's why you got to take one of those. But maybe those it was like Elias Diaz. Diaz or someone them. who plays or Fortes. Those guys are going to play. Like they're they're not going to yes, be zeros. And someone who's like in a good situation for the first week. Like Elias Diaz might be ideal because if he's home in Colorado at all in the first couple of weeks, then you're like, okay, at least I get these seven games in Colorado for Elias Diaz before I have to decide it's it's him or Shea Langoliers that goes. Now, I like Langolier's profile a lot. I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to be pretty good this year. You just have to do a little extra to actually have him on your roster. You have to make sure you draft a third catcher who's eligible to play the spot to begin the season. I think if we were putting him in the tiers with catcher-eligible players, probably in that third tier, the the Raleigh key bear, but near the yeah. top of that group. If we knew he was a catcher, yeah. Uh, like if you knew he was a catcher eligible from week one, it's just a little bit harder. Uh, if I was going to pick between him and those other guys, uh, like Kyle Raleigh is going to be a catcher. He's going to be playing from day one and I don't have to do anything weird. You know? Yeah. And they have somewhat equally exciting upside of, of guys who can barrel the ball, but strike out too much. You know, they're kind of similar. So I'd rather have Cal Raleigh than, than Shea Langoliers because of that little, little thing that for Francisco Alvarez, the other catcher, uh, that will be a catcher, uh, eventually, I am not as interested in redraft leagues. And in fact, when it comes to keeper leagues, uh, I there's enough in his approach that left me cold, kind of swing and miss with a whole um, little bit aggressive in terms of chase rate. Uh, I'm a little surprised at how much of how many holes I thought he had given the plus walk rates he's had in the minor leagues. I think there might be a little bit more here that needs to be teased out. He's 21. Uh, catcher's debut later usually. It takes him a little while. I don't I don't know that he's uh, going to be a star on day one, and I don't think the Mets are going to play him right away in the big leagues. Hmm. Yeah, I do think it's a tougher 
road to regular playing time given the state of the roster we talked about brett Beatty on the third base preview too and that he's kind of trying to carve out a spot and moving some guys around they could make that happen i think the the current build of this roster, though, does leave the door open enough for both Alvarez and Beatty, believe it or not. I think the questions about how ready he is to handle the big league staff are legit because they've got some they've got some veterans who don't want someone behind the plate who will um, who have any issues. Now, I, I, again, I, I don't know if that's something that Alvarez is already working on. I'm referring to ways that he's been described by Buck Showalter in various quotes, and I'm like, <laughs> They seem to have some questions about him. I, I don't know what specifically those questions are on the defensive side. He's going to hit eventually. I think the swing and miss will come down over time. He's been so young for every level. It's hard to write off the possibility that he's going to get a lot better as a hitter in terms of his swing decisions. Uh, hits the ball very hard. If you've ever, ever seen the minor league exit velocities, Alvarez always pops in those numbers. But because he dh three times and only caught two times with the Mets, the fact <laughs> that he caught 79 games in the minors last year doesn't mean anything in some of your leagues. So it's a similar situation on the next UT only Mitch Garver is, uh, was a catcher and might be a catcher again. <laughs> Although I don't think it's quite similar. It's not, he might actually egregious. be a DH. Yeah, it's, he's, he may not actually even, I mean, I, I would guess he catches at least five games and becomes a catcher at some point. I just don't know that you can be like, Oh, in week two, I'll have a catcher in Mitch Garver. I'm not sure if you're going to play that game. I think you might want a few more games. I, I think it might be somebody that you leave on the wire and watch more than anything because uh, Mitch Garver had, before he got hurt, the 70th best pop time among all catchers in baseball last year. That's by among qualified. So that's 70th out of 84. Uh, we just had Stephen vote on, and you'll get to hear from him uh, later this week. Uh, and he was talking about how bad his arm was. Well, yeah, he was right. Uh, he had the worst arm in, in baseball last year at 84th, but not that much worse than Mitch Garver. So question is, you know, was that related to the forearm injury that he had? Would he would he be get would he get back to it? He's 32. Uh, does he have enough value as a hitter to not worry about the catching? They they do not. Do you think they have a regular DH other than Mitch Garver? Hmm. He's projected to be not the moment. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they have. He's projected to be ten to twenty percent better than the average of the stick. Do you see anybody that Brad Miller could be? Maybe it, it's Miller moves around a little bit though too. What's his contract situation? Brad two Miller's year ten million dollars. Yeah, it was a little. It was a little more than you would have thought. Awful year last year, and projected to be less than uh, below average with the bat. So. He's your guy, though. He'd, he'd be the player that you'd be looking at and saying, and I, if you believe that he's the guy he was from 2019 to 2021, he's the threat to some of the DH playing time. Some threat that if one of these outfielders works out better than expected, that it pushes somebody. Like, if Bubba Thompson actually plays a lot, uh, or Josh Smith takes a step forward, and Bubba Thompson, maybe someone gets pushed, pushed to DH sometimes. But I just don't see that. I don't think Bubba Thompson's a very good hitter. Um, and I think there's just there, they've got Josh Smith and Bubba Thompson and Ezekiel Duran and left field. And they're saying, one of you guys, please take this. (laughs) And I don't, I think, I think Josh Smith is interesting, but I don't think very highly of any of them. So that means that I think Mitch Garver is the DH next year, uh, for the Rangers. Um, 
No. If as a DH, I'm not super excited about. It. <laughs> uh, if he does get that catcher eligibility, that's interesting. Maybe a draft and hold. Like, wh- where would you pick Mitch Garver? Hail <laughs> only league in reserves, maybe. It's just a, <laughs> it's such a strange way. I'm surprised he's going where he's going. I mean, he's going. Let me see. I, I, mean, I like him enough as a hitter. I just find the whole way of trying to roster him difficult for most of the leagues I play in. Actually, he's going He's going in a pretty difficult spot. I mean, he's going around Anthony Volpe and, and Adam Duvall. And this is like, this is already draft and hold territory, isn't it? Yeah. And even there, I, 230. I think I can do a little bit better with that spot in that range. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nolan Gorman is there. He's kind of fun. Spencer Steer is there. He's fun. Yeah. Omar Narvaez, if you need an actual catcher. Last player I want to ask you about. Another UT-only player. Actually, we talked about this a little bit because of the Nelson Cruz side. Nelson Cruz, of course, signed with the Padres in January. It's that $1 million deal we were talking about. Matt Carpenter got a contract like the one you were just describing with Brad Miller. Two years, $12 million. What do you think about Carpenter maybe being overlooked as the big side platoon DH, possibly occasional first baseman, coming off a year where for a brief time with the Yankees, he hit 305, 412, 727 in 47 games with 15 homers. That's absurd. It really is. Uh, I think for me, just seeing that he had a 304 BABIP with a 53% fly ball rate is what I don't understand. The That's where my brain fails to compute it. So that's why he's projected for a 210 batting average. So It'll just be a question of how much stomach uh, Bob Melvin has for strikeouts and empty plate appearances uh, in between the homers, basically. Um, if he gets enough walks where he's got the 330 OBP that he's projected, um, he should be a better hitter than Nelson Cruz. But Nelson Cruz is more likely to hit for a better batting average, so we will actually get to see Bob Melvin make some decisions in real time on this one. Yeah, I haven't planned on drafting Carpenter anywhere yet. I think he'd be much like the Garver situation, someone maybe for for a draft and hold. At least he goes a tick later. I think I'm more comfortable where Carpenter goes seeing what happens than I am with Garver, all things considered. Someone asked me what I would give Nelson Cruz if we if we knew he had the full year as the player mm-hmm. uh, there, and I think... I think uh, I would give him basically a 240 average and like 17 homers. So, reasonable. Maybe 18, maybe 20. I guess uh, there's a bit of a competition there, but you know, you do get a hint from that contract. One year, 1 million versus two years, 10 million. They'd rather Matt Carpenter worked out. I just think they have higher expectations for Carpenter and are believing in some of the adjustments that he made that enabled him to do what he did last year in that brief time. I just wish he hadn't gotten hurt. I wish we could have seen it for more of the second half because we'd have a lot more a lot more confidence if that was over 300 or even 400 plate appearances compared to 154, but one of the better partial seasons we've seen in recent years. We did it. We made it through the catchers. We made it through the UT-only players. If you got questions for a future episode, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription, get one for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.